Hello. There you go. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we praise you and we just ask, Lord Jesus, that now you would speak. Um, Father, we, we long for that we would be uh, challenged and changed and we long to become more like you, Jesus. Uh, we long to know your grace more fully. We long to know you more in our lives and for our lives to be shaped to be like you. And do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been uh, doing a series, I think this is number seven or something like that, in a series on the church, and uh, we've kind of titled it The Church Shaping Culture, Not Being Shaped, uh, and tonight's called No Strings Attached. I, I've got to confess, I swore at someone the other day. Um, it was a casual conversation, but I ended up swearing at them. Um, and you know what, I think I'm beginning to swear at people more and more. Uh, one particular word just rolls off my tongue. And I have to confess, I actually like using the word. Um, I like the way it makes people recoil when I say it. I like the way it actually appears to offend people when I say it. I like seeing the response of people when I put it out there. I'm going to use it now. And I wonder if anyone's ever sworn from the pulpit, from this lectern at Wodonga Baptist Church before. Are you ready? Commitment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil Weeks, you filthy mouth. Trash-talking, swearing person. Shame, shame. Dirty, dirty, absolutely disgusting. Perhaps I talk it up just a little bit. Um, but it appears for some people, when you ask them to commit to something, it's like you've dropped the F-bomb. Fair some people, I reckon. Um, you ask them to commit... And you can see them recoil. You can see them kind of like just move around a bit. It's and uh, if you can't see them recoil, it's probably because some, something inside, they're just really used to saying no. And, um, you know, and no one will ever make them commit to anything. And, of course, just saying the word, it, it's not like really a swear word. But when you say that when the message is put to someone that they need to commit and like everything else kind of for a moment kind of moves to the side so they don't think about anything else and they just, they just really hear the challenge that they need to commit, um, that moment is like hearing an offensive word. You can just see it's just awkward. And I believe the reason why asking someone to commit to something has this uh, confronting effect is because it threatens what we hold really dear. People generally don't like being asked to commit to something because it threatens to take away our freedom, take away our independence. Committing to something threatens to take away our freedom and specifically our freedom to do the things that we want to do in our life, that we believe will bring us the best and most fulfilling life. God forbid that we commit ourselves to something and then realise that later on, because we did commit, we missed something even better. And therefore, we, the logic is that we missed out on living life even more amazing. This is best exemplified in Facebook. And I'm sure for all you guys who are still living in the 90s, it's the same for MySpace. For the uninformed, Facebook, and I'm sure MySpace, crowded, I'm sure, maybe same time, whatever, um, it provides you with the ability to invite someone to an event. Um, when the invitation goes out to all the people that you send the invite to, they get all the details of the event, and then they get also um, the ability to reply, the ability to RSVP with a click of one button. So will you come to this event? Yes. No. But we are so, in this culture, scared of commitment 
committing to something that um, you know, we might miss out on a better option, that Facebook has added another response. And many of you are familiar <laughs> with this response. For the, those scared of commitment, we can press the maybe button. <laughs> I'm maybe coming to your event. Maybe is what you say instead of what you really mean, I'll come if there's nothing better. So when it comes to a person's quest for the best, most fulfilling life, there appears to be a tension between commitment on one hand and freedom. Commitment and freedom appear to be like diametrically opposed. They seem to be in opposition. Are they? Many of us here tonight might regularly feel this tension. The desire for freedom to pursue the best, most fulfilling life and the pressure as well coming at us to commit in many areas. Do commitment and freedom work in opposition to each other? I wonder what you think, especially when it comes to your faith uh, in God. Well, I'm not too sure what all you guys think tonight, but I'm pretty sure of what our society thinks by the marketing that comes our way. And it's an interesting place our marketers find themselves in. Every company, without a doubt, um, would love a consumer to commit more to their product, to commit to their product for the rest of their living days. And every sporting club, Every organisation, political party we find ourselves a part of or a sporting team we barrack for longs for us to show greater commitment. Commitment is valued and desired. But then, when it comes to products we consume, the marketing strategy is quite often pitched to accommodate people's inability or phobia to commit. The motto seems to be, why fight them when you can join them? So while society around us might desire commitment. The marketing gurus are regularly um, firing at us the message that encourages freedom and independence without commitment. This has been seen very clearly in the notion of, you know, no strings attached living, where things are marketed to us based on their uh, being no strings attached. You don't have to commit. You know, do this, buy this, have more, but you don't have to commit. It's all right. You can have the freedom and the independence without commitment. On a quick Google search under no strings attached, I found several examples. No strings attached sex. Um, quite, you know, I didn't want to click those buttons. Um, enjoy regular no strings attached sex with someone you're not romantically or married to. Enjoying sex without the headache, the inconvenience of relationship. Friends with benefits, bad buddies. Another website proudly boasts one million casual date seekers. Pull now. Disturbing. In another area, no strings attached travel. That's a little bit less confronting. Um, a book written about it, you know, travel solo so that you can have the freedom to do and, and stay wherever you want. You don't have to be held up by some friend or whatever. Enjoy whatever you want to do without the hindrance of another person. And then I know we're all familiar with um, no-strings-attached mobile phones. It's like, don't lock yourself in, get like prepaid. You know, contracts, it's like, get away from me, you know, I can't handle a contract. There are plenty more examples, I'm sure, maybe even come to your mind right now. But the message underlying them all is really, this product, this service, whatever, it's going to provide you with the freedom and independence you want, minus the, the commitment. You know, you can have the best and most fulfilling life, the freedom you want, without the commitment. Freedom without commitment will ensure a better life. That's what the marketers will tell us. Now, my question is, I wonder how much Christians have bought into this. I wonder how much you as a person here tonight, sitting here, have bought into this. The Bible states a great truth. Not all things that promise freedom and a more fulfilling life actually bring it. 
There's a passage in uh, 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And Peter says this, uh, these people, for they open, uh, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. When this letter was written by the Apostle Peter, he was writing to a wide circle of early Christians. It would have been a letter that was circulated through many of the local churches. And central to the message is Peter warning the people in the churches of false teachers, people who would come into the church and would speak lies and try to lure them away. In short, what he's saying is um, these false and deceptive people, they are promising freedom. They're promising freedom and a, and a better life. And they're appealing to, you know, the way to get it is kind of by just giving yourself over to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature. Now, the message of the false teachers is echoed today, thousands of years later, in our own society. So a society that says, you know, you can enjoy uh, or you can have sex with whoever you want without the commitment of marriage. And that is the best way. That's the most fulfilling life, to do that. You can hear the similarity of the message. Sex without the hindrance of commitment of marriage, it's like there's the message being put out there. Peter says, though, it isn't true freedom. This actually doesn't bring freedom. This doesn't bring a fuller and more purposeful life. It actually is a form of captivity. Now, I'm sure many of us here at times, or maybe at present, it doesn't have to be the sex issue. It could be some other thing that we've given ourselves over to because we think that that will bring us a greater freedom and therefore a more purposeful life. I'm sure with many of us at times have done this or even do it now, we've pursued the lie and now we might be living with the memory of how captive we were to whatever it was. Or we might even be living in the reality now of just feeling held captive by something that promised freedom but didn't come through. It just brought cap- captivity. Society regularly sends a message bombarding us, screaming at us. Freedom in life is found without commitment. Now, as the people who have been begun to follow the way of Jesus, that is many of us or most of us here tonight, what are we supposed to think about Commitment and freedom. How are we supposed to live? Is the goal to avoid commitment at all costs? To ensure freedom that we can discover what the most purposeful life is? Because the world's creative marketers, they're just pitching it a treat to us. Commitment gets in the way of freedom. But surely it must be our goal as Christians, surely it's got to be our goal not to be listening mostly to the people of marketing strategy, but rather to the, the voice of Jesus, to the voice of God and his word. What is he saying about commitment and freedom? Well, the good news for people looking for freedom and life is that Jesus actually includes this in his marketing pitch. Freedom and life can be found in Jesus. One Sabbath day, uh, Jesus went to the local Jewish synagogue, as was his custom, and he went forward at this time to read out um, some scriptures. And then as his, what he was going to do was speak on these scriptures to, the, to those in the synagogue. And this is what happened, uh, Luke 4, 17 to 19. And I'm going to be jumping all everywhere, so if you're pacey on your Bibles, then grab it. That'd be awesome. Luke 4, 17 to 19. And this is what happened when Jesus did this, got up in the front of the synagogue. Luke 4, 17 and 19. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In doing this, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who was spoken of here. I'm the chosen one of God. I'm God's anointed one. I'm the one whom the Spirit of the Lord rests upon. I'm the one who has come into the world to preach good news to the poor. I'm the one who has come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. In a nutshell, what we can say that Jesus has been sent by God to do is to bring freedom and life for all people, for those who are oppressed and held captive to sin and its effects. Listen to these words of Jesus from John 10.10. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the good news for people is that Jesus comes to bring freedom and life This is amazingly good news for people. For those of us who are believers already, terrific. I want freedom in life. And it's good news for people who are yet to hear about Jesus. You want real freedom in life? Come to Jesus Christ. But then the message of Jesus takes a different turn to the message of the world marketers. It's like he swears at us. Jesus does say, I've come for people to have life. But then he says something else. He says, if you want to grab hold of freedom and life, you have to commit. If you want freedom and life, you have to commit to me, is what Jesus says. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it, his life for me will find it. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, God in the flesh. God who designed, made and sustains the universe says, I can show you how to find freedom in life. How? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. These are words that speak only of commitment. In other words, stop living for yourself. Acknowledge that you as a person have lived a self-focused life and have ignored God and have ignored loving others. Whether it be how you speak or interact with people, what you watch on screens, how you think and act in private. To deny yourself is to repent of your self-focused living. To deny yourself is to repent of the ways that you've ignored God. Then take up your cross and follow Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus and follow him. Even, I hope you like the metaphor of take up your cross, follow Jesus even if it leads to your death. Pretty solid. hope that's not required of me. To follow Jesus is to say that from now on, um, you are focused on living and breathing and speaking for Jesus first not yourself anymore. In the eyes of Jesus, commitment, commitment is very important. God's message to all people is that he has sent Jesus into the world to provide people with a way of finding freedom in life from captivity and slavery to sin, from captivity to a way of life without a vibrant relationship with God, to provide freedom from that into a living relationship with God. For all eternity. Paul, when he speaks in Timothy, says, It's now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When we place our faith, when we commit our lives into the hands of Jesus Christ, we enter into life, into this relationship with God. 
Commitment's a very strong word. It's very important. It, it sort of talks about our, our focus and where our life is. And, and God requires it and loves it and wants it. I remember I was um, um, in a pub at Alexandra, my hometown, on a Christmas Eve. And um, got an illustration of how, how much I love a bit of focus and how much more God loves our focus and commitment. It's the place on Christmas Eve where all the, it doesn't happen now, happened a few years after I left year 12 and everyone would congregate at this one particular pub and everyone would catch up as they come back and visit their parents and all that sort of stuff. And I'd um, just returned from uh, Papua New Guinea and I had all these great stories and I was so full of excitement and I just wanted to uh, communicate some of this excitement you know, and, and speak to some of my friends and have them listen and kind of you know, get excited with me or share the excitement. And um, I remember talking to this one person and I was like uh, talking to them in the middle of this kind of really packed pub and I was talking to them and I was giving them all and then every now and then they'd kind of look over my shoulder and they'd kind of try and spot someone else that they wanted to talk to or, you know, there was someone they wanted to speak to or whatever and to the point that I don't think they were really listening and I was giving them all and just wanted a bit of focus or a bit of commitment and, and it was just like they'd kind of everywhere, and I remember I stopped mid-sentence. I just stopped and I looked at them, and I waited to see how long they'd actually queue that I'd stop talking to them, and it was longer than I expected. And I went like, hey, it's great to see you, and they kind of walked off. And I think of God when he um, says he wants our commitment and our focus. It's just like, nothing else, guys. I've done this for you. I've died on the cross for you. Please, Give, you, give your life to living for me. In the eyes of Jesus, not in the eyes of the world, commitment is very important. Now, we also have to understand that as people who commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we're then called to then commit to a new way of life. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, follow me is reference to developing a new way of life that more and more echoes the life of Jesus. What does this new lifestyle look like? What does our new mission in life look like? What does becoming more like Jesus look like? It means committing our life to three areas. And once again, when I say commitment, I mean giving our whole selves to it. Not like commitment is some part of my life, but just giving our whole self to Jesus. Now, I know um, I've spoken about this before, um, but I repeat it again because it's my goal in life and I keep forgetting it, so I want to remind myself. And my guess is that you're on the same train. Um, so committing ourselves to this new way of life, three areas, and I call it knowing God, loving the church, and serving the world. That has become the new mission, the new way of life that we grow into for the believer. And basically it comes to us from a key statement of Jesus. And I'll say it again because we need to hear it and not just hear it, but let it sink deep into who we are and then we start living by it. The great commandment in Matt 22, verse 37, please don't let your eyes glaze over. Jesus says in reply to the greatest commandment, what is it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, and some translations in other Gospels add in, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, the Bible, hang on these two commandments. Now, if all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, if Jesus, what Jesus is saying is foundational to life, I want to commit to living for this. Loving both God with my everything and loving people as much as I love myself. The people who are in the kingdom, loving and serving them, and the people who are outside of the kingdom, loving and serving them as well. Now, loving other people will look like addressing their spiritual poverty um, by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and helping believers grow to become more like Jesus. That's loving them. And loving other people will also look like addressing their physical 
or their mental poverty when the opportunity presents itself. Knowing God, loving the church, serving the world. Jesus says the person who does this um, will lose themselves, but in the process will find life. They'll find the most filling, the most abundant life available to a person. This is an amazing paradox. I don't quite get it. That at one hand we commit to ourselves, to God and the love and service of people. In verses in the Bible it says we become a slave to righteousness. But at the same time, that leads to a more abundant and fulfilling life. The more we die to ourselves, the better life is. This is so counterintuitive um, in a world that markets the opposite. In a world that markets that freedom from responsibility and commitment will bring the most abundant and full life. It's a counterintuitive thing if we've bought into that. But it's so true. It's a lesson that I think I get. I, I think, oh, I think... You know, Phil, I think the most amazing life is available when I die to myself and start living more to knowing God more and loving people more. I think it is. And then every ounce of me probably recalls and says, no, it's not, ditch it, you know, it's all about you. But it's true. And I get glimpses of it, and that's where I find joy. Um, illustrated the, how commitment brings a fuller life, um, I know as a single guy, when I was one, um, I used to know that I was encouraged and it was stated quite often that it's really good to be a single guy. Um, you know, you're kind of free. You've got uh, no one hanging on you. You can kind of just go to whatever relationship you want. So if you think they're cute, well, just that's all right. If you like what they say, well, kind of cool. And there's no commitment required and that's great. Yet even... Um, I think what I wanted in my relationships, I actually wanted um, uh, like someone to love and I wanted to be loved with regularity, not something unstable, not something that I had to guess about the other person's commitment and they probably didn't want to guess about my commitment. And I remember feelings of going out with people and just feeling like, oh, this is so um, precarious. And then when I got married to Michelle, it was like all the uncertainty, all the fear just kind of subsided. And there was a great confidence, a great certainty. And I can tell you that the more I'm married to Michelle, my wife, I'm married to her, that would make her my wife, I suppose. Um, through the good times and the bad times, like our friendship is just growing and it's becoming richer and my life is becoming fuller. There are hard times, but... Life is just getting fuller with Michelle. So who do we trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust marketing gurus that say, uh -uh, freedom, ditch commitment, that's where life's found? Or do you trust Jesus and God and what he communicates? Which way are you going to go? Now I must say that growing in our commitment to knowing and living for God first, and loving and serving other people, it's a very hard task. Um, we could all, right now, set ourselves this new target, this uh, new commitment right now. It's all about knowing God first and about loving other people. And by 9.30 tonight, you kind of muffed it. And I'll be on the lookout. But by the grace of God, the gift of God's Spirit to every believer, I reckon over time we can grow in it. And I've got to say as well, like, as I was... I know how hard this task is and I'm sitting here as the songs are being sung tonight and I'm going, I'm so glad for the grace of our God. So we commit in light of grace, people. We don't commit to get grace. We have to found it in grace. Otherwise, we just feel like we're rubbish and can't, do, can't get our salvation right. But that's in Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God. But with God's spirit, we can grow and the task can you know, we can, we can grow to becoming more like Jesus and, and knowing God more and loving other people more. Now, I know we can, I can tell it's hard, right, as well, because uh, I can see amongst the people of God, people who believe in real freedom that's actually found through not committing. 
I can see it in our church. So we're a believer, yes, but we've got legacies of this kind of let's have freedom without commitment. And I can see it, and I wonder if you can see it too. I can see it in a person, a believer, we could call the the part-time Christian. So the person who forgets or somehow can't work it out that following Jesus is actually your life. You give your life, which means it's not just on Sunday you play a game, but every day you wake up and you say, my life is yours. I can see it in people like that, people who haven't quite got the thing worked out. Commit on Sunday, but the rest of the week, it's a bit too out there, it's a bit too, I might lose some friends. I can also see in the believer, we could term the church hopper. The one who fails to commit to a local church. Feels a need to move around to different churches. And I know this is a, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to talk about here to some of us. And of course, I'm not party to the reasons why some people do what we do. And quite often it's complex. So I don't want to generalise and say that um, a fear of commitment is what underpins any particular issues. But I just want to encourage us. I really do. I want to encourage us all to think a bit harder about what informs our actions. Why do I do the thing I do? You know, whether it be being a Sunday Christian or attending multiple churches, whether it be not serving the poor, whether it be not sharing my faith when the opportunity presents itself. When it comes to committing to the new way of life in living for Jesus, um, we just have to work out if commitment is holding us back because committing to Jesus will bring a better life and God demands it of us anyway. In committing to growing and knowing God, um, let me, let me offer just a few suggestions. They're pretty punchy um, and they'll probably just serve as reminders to those of us who probably already get this. In committing to growing and knowing God, um, let me just offer you the suggestion to commit a portion of your day. Please endeavour to grow in this area. Fail regularly like me, but then try and get back in it. And that is study and apply God's word to your life and pray that God would encourage you and speak with you. Every day, people, every day commit to praying to God and saying, God, please just lead me by your word. I'm amazed at those of us who are believers yet do not prioritise this. This is a great way of physically committing our day to God. It's this thing that will mark our day out as this is what we're on about. Now, it doesn't make us a Christian. No, faith in Jesus Christ does that. But this will help us understand who we are living for and how to live it. So that's like a no-brainer. But it'd be interesting to do a show of hands to how often we read the Bible. You know, and I would be on a bad week guilty as well, of course. In committing to loving the church more, this could be another swear word. Hang on, I'll just see if I can muster it up. Become a church member. Still going to see who's going to get up and walk out. Church membership signifies your commitment to loving and serving the local group of believers. It's not committing to an institution. It's not committing to uh, a political entity or whatever. No, you're committing to people. You're committing to a local family of God, to love and serve God's people here, to seek to be encouraged yourself and to seek to encourage those around you to become more like Jesus. Many of us kind of really find that hard. It's like, you know, and there's lots of reasons, you know, we could say, I'm only here for a little while or whatever. That might be a good reason for you. It might not be. Here's a fear of commitment holding you back from just giving yourself over to the church, to your local church, which by you being here tonight, most of you would be here. Let me also add that as you grow and commit to this, this particular local church, 
I think, um, like, I've been having a few conversations, and I think, you know, um, it'd be good to clear up expectations as well. So that if you come to church, like, what, what would be a goal for you to be committing to in this church? Like, do we want you here 24-7, or do we want you just coming in and sitting down and enjoying whatever we present in an evening? You know, what is it? And this is, this is uh, not a, I can't give you a verse for this. This is just kind of my um, thoughts on the matter. I reckon there's um, kind of like three things you could grow in or grow towards committing to. And I think it would be attending church on a Sunday. Number one, just be here on a Sunday. You know, if your leg falls off and you're bled to death and other reasons that are probably equally as valid, right? I'm not saying you've got to be here and I don't care what happens, but like you strive to be here every week so you can build into the family kind of place here. And then the other thing would be join a small group so that you can encourage other believers and so that you can be encouraged as well in a smaller group of believers. And the third would be find a place to serve. Find a place to serve. So some of you are here and you're just checking things out. That's fine. Some of you, you know, are not quite sure. and that, That's fine. But I reckon a goal would be come to church on Sunday. Join a small group. Find a place to serve. And I think if you do that, then you know you don't have to kill yourself with excessive amounts of other stuff. You know, and you'll be in a place to really grow. And you'll be in a place to serve this community so that we can become more like Jesus and we can be mobilised for mission in the world more. And the people can hear about the kingdom. That's the goal. Find somewhere to serve. That's good too, isn't it? Well, in, committing to, in committing to serve the world, um, I find this often the hardest, and I confess that as a, as a pastor here, I find that finding regular ways to serve people around me who are outside of this community, that's something I continue to wrestle with. Um, and I know for many people, like uh, if this becomes your life, and it's in the church and the building, it's always around here, then chances are you, you haven't got that many friends outside or you're not sure of how to serve people outside the community. But I would say um, discover the ways you can do that. Make time, carve out time where you can be serving people outside the community. It might be formalised, it might not. It might be just that you try and keep praying and say, God, show me the opportunities so that I might be able to serve and, and, and love people outside of the church family. I find that if you pray, God presents. That's kind of just the way it is. If you don't want someone to serve outside the community, don't pray that because God will he'll show you that and you'll see it and you'll go, miss that, you know. Anyway, my, some of my ideas on committing to knowing God, loving the church and serving the world. Let me conclude. Who you're going to listen to is really uh, the motto here. And I have to confess that um, I want to just tell you a story about something I'm a little bit obsessive about. And maybe it's a cry for help and you can help me out with my problem. Um, on the whole, when I uh, go for a drive, wherever it is, and I know like where I'm going, a destination, I, just, I kind of take pride in always taking the shortest possible route. Okay? That will take the quickest time. And I love that. I do that. And it's, you know, it could be an idol of mine. I don't know. Pray for me now. Um, But I desire deeply to get to there the shortest time. And and every now and then I find I've taken a route that I thought was the quickest and just something happens. It might be a traffic light goes in me. Or it might be there's some road works. And I find myself um, feeling a little frustrated, missed opportunity, wasting my time. I need to see a counsellor. Please, help. That's another cry. Anyway, in June this year, Michelle and I, the family, were going on holiday and we're travelling across to uh, Naruma, which is south coast of New South Wales. And any way you want to get there is just awkward because there's like this big mountain range in between. I think it's called the Great Dividing Irritation or something like that. Um, so you have to... How to work out the quickest route is a tough ask anyway. And I sort of said, Michelle, where do you think we should go? And it was like a potential, like one of the roads they closed if it's snowing. So if you go that way and you find out, you have to come all the way around and it's like hours onto your journey. Anyway, she goes, Phil, why don't we go up this other way through uh, Hume Highway and we'll cut through um, Tumut and just road over the mountains. Anyway, so here we are on this drive and, and I'm going like, okay, Michelle, 
I'll listen to you. You better be right. I'm cynical already. Anyway, we came out of uh, Albury on the Hume Freeway. And for those of you who are local, it's like they're doing roadworks for that entire road with vehicles that are designed to park in front of you just to slow you down and irritate you. Maybe not, but who knows, right? And they're the whole way. And I'm just like getting so frustrated. And basically, because I listened to Michelle. <laughs> I know that's wrong. Some of you are actually getting ready to be married. I'm not trying to give you any signals there or whatever. It's probably one of the only occurrences she's wrong. Um, that was to try and win favour. Um, but it's an interesting thing. Who are you going to listen to? And that's the point. So... You should listen to your wife. <laughs> listen to your wife. But in a world that says real life is found without commitment, and then Jesus says freedom and life is found through commitment to me and living my way, who are you going to listen to? And may I plead with you tonight to listen to the right voice. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And may that be our prayer, that he is the one we commit to in following him. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would be our commitment and that we would not only just say that, but we would give our lives to you. Father God, help us um, do that. Help us daily commit to you, that our salvation would be in you, that our reason for living would be in you, that our way of life would be following your example. Jesus, make that, please make that more of what we're on about in life. That we might show people outside that, you know, freedom of life is found in you, Jesus. Father, please do this for your glory. Amen. Hey, tonight um, we have um, one of the AFES guys, Adam, and he's going to share us his testimony. And um, I think we'll be able to glean from it yeah, how he's given his life to Jesus and um, oh, seeks to live for him. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Um, well, g'day, everyone. Um, yeah, my name's Adam. I'm at La Trobe with a few of the other guys here. Um, should I have this one on? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> we love mics. <laughs> okay, and... Um, Yes, I'm a law student and I'm about three years through a five-year degree and it's pretty intense, but it hasn't really prepared me for this. So um, we'll see how we go. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is, by nature, I am an absolute perfectionist. For most of my life, I have tried to be perfect at every single thing I have ever done. Being a twin, I was very competitive, so this just fed that perfectionism a little bit. I'm also a bit anally retentive. So, for instance, um, when I was a bit younger, I couldn't sit down at the table until all the cutlery was done correctly. So forks to the left, knives to the right. I wouldn't sit down unless that was done. Another example that was just as sad and depressing for most of you is my friends have this suede sort of lounge couch thing. I would sit down, noticing the different colours on the suede couch, I would proceed to straighten the whole couch out <laughs> until it was the one colour. Um, now, I could give you heaps more of these examples, but despite the fact you probably get distracted and laugh too much, um, yeah, just looking back, they're pretty outrageous. But you know what? Being a perfectionist um, in everything made being a Christian really, really hard. Because it's really difficult to be a Christian when you're trying to be perfect. I became a Christian when I was 15. I was baptised when I was 16. And everything went okay after a while. And then I sort of sunk back into my little perfectionist sort of ways. So my view of God at that stage was to please him. And to please him, I had to be perfect. I don't know about you, but at home my parents have this like dish sort of ceramic thing. You know, you see on the Antiques Roadshow, and yes, I admit I watch it occasionally. Um, and it's like the thing that is so delicate and so fine and you can't touch it because if you touch it, it just breaks. Well, for me, 
that was a bit of a good analogy for what my walk with God was like, what my faith in God was like. You know, one crack and a break, or even worse, it would absolutely shatter. So anyway, I kept on doing the Christian thing and I went to uni. Now, a guy at uni challenged me to start serving others. And I'll give you a demo of how the convo went. He says, Adam, have you thought about serving others? My response, I didn't say all of this, but you'll get the drift. Back off. I can't serve. I'm trying to get my walk with God right, to get it perfect. And until that time, don't even bother me asking. And if that doesn't answer your question, I serve at my church anyway. And you know what? I sing at my church. And I'm pretty good at it. And the people in my church think so as well. So come back another time when I've got my walk with God right and it'll be fine. Leave me alone. Now, if you like, my faith, which is this fragile plate, if you can imagine, had just suffered some whopping great crack down the middle. My walk with God had this huge irreparable crack and I didn't really appreciate what was going. So I kept on singing and kept on hoping that the crack would fix itself up. What I thought was that serving at my church, I could attain that elusive perfection, fixing the fragile plate. But earlier this year, something else happened. I was listening to a talk at uni uh, by this guy, and he was talking about grace. And I did mention earlier there was a crack in my plate. Well, after this little talk, my plate became a thousand little pieces on the ground. It was shattered. I'd like to read from you from Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. My idea of God in an instant was ripped to shreds because it was all about grace and not about me. I was never going to be perfect enough for God And it was only God's free gift of grace offered to me because of the death of his son on the cross that allowed me to be made right with him. So I was pretty sad because singing wouldn't cut it. Working hard at uni wouldn't cut it. Being perfect would never cut it. But how did it change? Well, I now understood that salvation was not something I earned, but it was a free gift. More importantly, for the first time, I got that serving meant serving others. It wasn't just about me. It meant loving others. So after all, it wasn't about me. It's about loving God and loving others. And I can tell you a bit about the difference in my life now. Two years ago, I was too proud to even think about these sorts of things. At the end of last year, I went on a big student conference, a Christian conference called NTE up in Canberra, and it was great. But I tell you what, I wouldn't have jumped on the bus that we went to. If you can imagine this, it was this old white bus, <coughs> vinyl seats, so it's hot and it's uncomfortable, but that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was that on the side of the bus, in huge red writing, it said, you guessed it, Jesus is the answer. So for someone who was, you know, pretty unsure, um, didn't really want to be there, it wasn't a good start because I was really embarrassed. But you know what? Everyone else around me, they weren't. They kept on getting on the bus, being all excited about NTE, and they didn't care about the outward appearance of the bus. They just kept on loving Jesus and they kept on loving each other. And it was that model, that idea, that I learned how I could keep on loving Jesus and keep on loving each other, perfection or not. I do have a question for you, or maybe two or three. Have you understood understood grace? Because I know that your understanding of grace is reflected in how you serve. I never used to serve because I thought I had to get it right. But as it turns out, 
I couldn't. And instead I chose to accept grace, unconditional grace. So are you serving? If you are, is it about you or is it about others? Whichever, can I encourage you though to look to the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross as your inspiration for the future. Thanks, guys. tonight. We've heard about God's grace. We've sung about it together. Um, his, his grace that's all that we need. And then, and then Phil has talked to us about uh, what this gracious God calls us to do. <laughs> and it's to make commitments in our life as a response to His grace. Wholehearted commitments. And it might be today, uh, as we think about that, you're thinking, yes, it is time for me to commit, you know, to regularly attending church, regularly having a quiet time or regularly, you know, becoming a member or ongoing way, doing things like that. And uh, I think the only reason you would want to do that is because of God's incredible grace that would call for such a total commitment of your life, taking up your cross, dying to self and following Him. In, in these moments, just wonder what God's saying to you. Is your response to his grace one of total surrender, total commitment, giving your life to him? In these moments, I'd just love you to think that through with God. And one way you can do that is in these times just responding. And you can respond in your heart just by saying, God, it's time that I make a commitment to you. And in this week, I'm going to really wrestle the time that I have personally with you in daily quiet time. Or I'm committing in practical ways. Or it might be that today, for the first time, you give your life to him. In these next few moments, why don't you spend some time reflecting? We have uh, in the news sheet a, a blue card, and it, it might be that you just might want to put your name on there and respond, write a response to God, you know, um, that, that you might want to say, or you might want to say, oh, I'm wanting to become a church member, I'm wanting to be baptized, I'm wanting to become a follower of Christ. It might be that tonight you want us to pray with you, and, and, and there might be something you want us to pray for this week. But let's just have a moment of response, time just to think, and to do that in these moments. Take that card, or if you don't feel like doing that, just you and God talk together and make a response. Let's do that in these moments.